0: All right, y'all. Today's episode is brought to you by Gray Dog Guitars, located at 141 North Cortez Street in historic downtown Prescott, Arizona. Gray Dog Guitars is an authorized tailor, Gretsch, guild, and reverend dealer with a friendly, knowledgeable staff and a welcoming environment. Whatever you are looking for, whether to buy, sell, or trade, Gray Dog Guitars has you covered. So stop by today and check out their great selection of new, used, and vintage gear and check them out at www.graydogguitars.com. to The Creative Convergence, an audible nexus of the creative arts. I'm your host, Candice Devine. Join me in conversation as we discuss the journey creatives take on their path to success. Today's guest on the podcast is Whitney Payton. She's a hip hop artist hailing from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. With a firecracker personality and performance style, Peyton has toured nationally with the likes of 36 Mafia, Ritz, Lil Debbie, Dizzy Wright, and more, as well as headlining many of her own show dates. Her latest album, Alpha, was her third official studio album and also her third album to chart on Billboard. If you'd like to learn more about Whitney Peyton, please see our show notes to get links to her social media accounts. Hello, Whitney. Welcome to the podcast hi Whitney Payton, ladies and gentlemen um we are meeting over Zoom today and it's lovely because I get to see your beautiful face but everybody at home oh. will just be listening to your voice so um let's start at the beginning if you don't mind is that okay where sure. where were you born where are you now who's your family like talk to me from z- <laughs> talk to me from like the ages of like zero to five <laughs> wow
1: um I was born on the outskirts of Philadelphia Pennsylvania so it's Cool, because I got the best of both worlds, because in Pennsylvania, it's kind of one of those places where you go one way, you're in like Amish country, Uh and then you go the other way, you're right in the city. So I think I kind of got the best of both worlds with that. So I just kind of grew up in a really artsy place. I mean, Philly, look at it. It's like a more... I want to say like historic version in New York city, like more museums and totally
0: the Liberty bell. Like I, I love Philadelphia. I had the honor of opening for Adam Lambert there. So I, for like 30,000 really? people, it was really, and the city's so okay, cool. So wait,
1: when he was in queen or before he was in queen? Uh, it had just start. He was this, I
0: opened for him as Adam Lambert, Adam Lambert, but he had okay. already just started queen. I think that was just oh, okay. like emerging. That was where he, he was
1: invented at. Queen. Yes. <laughs> he, he is the founder of Queen.
0: <laughs> except, except for the minor man, Freddie Mercury. But yes. Right, right, right. <laughs> so right, yeah, okay, yeah. So you're from Pennsylvania, Philadelphia-ish, in-between, outskirts kind of area. So you've got like rural in, invasion and city invasion. You've got history. You've got lots mm-hmm. of art around you. Were you a young little buck that came out of the womb, like, I'm going to, were you an artist out the gate, or were you one a kid that was into other stuff?
1: I was always somewhat of an entertainer. Like, I knew that I wanted to be entertaining, and it wasn't always in a look at me kind of way where I was like, I just want to feel like I'm the queen or anything like that. It was more in a, I wanted to make people laugh, or like class clown kind of way, where I just wanted to be goofy and quirky and just, like, make everything fun. So I kind of was always, yeah, the entertainer. I just didn't know what, you know, where I was going to Like, what that meant that. specifically. But you, yeah. lo- you
0: loved being that person, like, be the out there, get the reaction, mm-hmm. entertain your family, make people clap and dance and laugh and all that good stuff. Which jazz. is
1: weird. Because I'm like, I would consider myself an introvert, but I think that's a very artist kind of thing to be like an introvert. But at the same time, when you are around people, you feel like you got to entertain
0: them kind of thing. I 100% agree with that. My best friend and I were talking about that the other day. She's an extrovert to the nines. Like, I mean, all things really? she recharges around lots of people. And and so often entertainers are thought of as extroverts because obviously you're mm-hmm. with people, you're entertaining people, you're on, you know, but I do think so many artists like yourself, myself included, it's like you do all of that, but then you need to come back and you need to come to your Mm -hmm. private space and you kind of need to refuel and you need to get creative on a personal level before you then put it back out in front of people. Right. It's kind
1: of like two different people. Like you're on the stage. That's a very confident version of yourself. I think, you know what I mean? Like, it's like this character that's like unabashed and unapologetic. And then behind the scenes, it's kind of like, am I doing this right? Are they going to like it? it, It's it true. You know what I mean? You're like, one day you're like, this is shit. I suck at everything. I'm never picking up the mic again. And then the other day, you're like, I'm the greatest. I'm the king
0: of the world. Yeah, totally. (laughs) So so even as a little kid, you were just a little ham and you loved that. Where did you go once you got into like, you know, that middle school age, were you a person that did choir or band or drama? Or were you just like, did you play sports? I mean, when did you find that calling to kind of line up with being an entertainer versus just like, I just do this. I love it. Like at what point
1: did you start to shift of like, I think I might want to do this. Yeah. I mean, I did theater, I did choir, but I also was into sports. I was a gymnast and cheerleader, for a long time, so I mean that almost goes with the entertainment factor, though I think because totally. it was it was you know entertaining at games you have stadiums of people and you're doing all this stuff to entertain them so um, yeah cheerleaders need a lot of cre- a, a lot of credit sorry <clears throat> I'm dying because I uh, you ever swallow the wrong way you swallow all, your drinks all the, the wrong time
0: way all the time and drown
1: yourself and it's always but, when I'm, uh,
0: it's always when you're like supposed to be heard that you're choking on your own mm-hmm. spit <laughs> you're
1: like, oh yeah
0: how is this happening right totally. now
1: <laughs> or just trip over nothing. I just yeah. walk and trip over wireless mics. You know what I'm saying? It happens. But uh, yeah, I was a, I was in theater. I, did, I was a gymnast. Uh, cheerleaders need more credit because they are doing really crazy things. A lot of the squads. I was a cheerleader like, too. I feel you, girl. Yeah, yeah. So it's dangerous. It's definitely the most dangerous sport I did out of. I did like lacrosse, um, a couple different things. And I will say, cheerleading was the most strenuous. Uh, so. But,
0: When did you, was it high school? When did you start getting into rap, rock, alternative sounds? Like where did, (laughs) when did that part of your life start to shape? Yeah. Where did
1: it start to shape? I know. I mean, it's weird because my parents are not musical at all. I think it started to shape because I got into like spoken word kind of thing. And that was big in Philadelphia. I was like into poetry, I was really into English classes. That was my favorite thing, like math failing all those classes, English (laughs) killing it. Um, So it just started that way. I was like doing the spoken word thing and I was like, oh, this is fun, you know, rhyming and actually performing your poetry rather than someone else just reading it. And then I would see artists like you know eminem missy Elliott, uh, all these artists with crazy music videos i was like oh i want to do this like the visual aspect of music totally. almost grabbed me first and i was like what if i could put my spoken word to this it's it's like rap it's basically rap you know and i told myself that but when you start to work with instrumentals it's a whole different ball game than doing something a cappella.
0: right well you're rhythmic. confined by the written whatever rhythm you're rapping too. I mean, you've got that, you know, it's not a freestyle where you can go in and out of different beat sounds with your voice. You know what I mean? You're, you're confined by the structure of the music to some degree.
1: Yeah, I would say, I mean, I would say confined is so as much as you got to work with it. It's kind of like you're working together rather than trying to overshadow the beat or the beat overshadows you kind of thing. So it it definitely, I went into it so confident because I was like, I got this. I do spoken word and blah, blah, blah. And I have a rhyme book that's full. And then I went and tried to put it on beats. And of course, you know, I have one line that has a lot of syllables and then the next doesn't have as many, like rhythmically as I was all over the place. It sounded so abstract when I first started trying to record because I was like, oh, I'm just not used to this. I'm used to being able to take pauses wherever I want. And Uh, So walk me through
0: that. When was the first time you thought, oh, okay, I love English. I love spoken word. I love poetry. When was the first time you kind of went, I am going to give this a shot under the guise of like, quote unquote, rap? You know what I mean? Like, when did you start going, I'm going to take this to another level Um or a new direction?
1: Kind of. Yeah. When I was seeing those visuals and I was seeing the the music videos and getting in- inspired by other artists, I was like, I want to go into the studio. And it was hard because I called a lot of studios and a lot of them didn't call me back. Because- right. So were you still in high school at this point? Were you out of high school? Where- yeah. No, I was still in high school yeah. and I, we're probably like 15, 16. I probably put out my first song when I was 16 or yeah. 17. But I, you know, took so long to be able to get in there because a lot of people weren't interested, even if I was paying, I was paying for my studio time. Like anyone else I was willing to pay. And I, I was working a couple part-time jobs, you know, waitressing and whatever you're allowed to do in high school. Yeah. Busing, Being a hostess, a
0: busser. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I was doing that and I was trying to, but you know, I was leaving messages on the answering machine, like, Hey, I'm from this suburb, whatever, yeah. and I'm like, I, I want to rap. I want to put out a rap album, and I think people were like, "Uh, no, we're what not
0: were doing your, that." Just curious because I, I love, <laughs> I love talking to artists that. You know, especially that are that clear at such a young age. You know, you're still in high school. What were your parents? Were your parents encouraging? Were your parents like, oh, this is a fun hobby, but this won't be your life? Was this were your parents like, oh, honey, just go back to cheerleading? Like <laughs> go back to go back to cheerleading. Uh,
1: no, my parents were have always been encouraging, I would say. They are used to me though, doing a bunch of different things that I don't think they were surprised buy it. But at, at the same time, I don't think they thought it was going to be what it turned into because they were just so used to me being like, I want to try this. I want to try that. Right. Like I was always and I'm still like that. I'm still like, oh, I want to try this. I want to learn about this. Um, Just always trying to do new things at and learn about that new things. time.
0: What were you rapping about? Fifteen years old.
1: That's that's the number one thing people ask me even now. They're like, what do you have to rap about if you're not hood and you're not this or that <laughs> I was rapping about What I thought about relationships, what I thought about, like, drama and friendships, like different, you know, middle age, high school things. I think my first song, though, that I recorded was called Crazy, and it talks about, I think I'm going crazy between these four walls. So I think it talks about, like, anxiety and depression, because I did have anxiety my whole life. I've always been a very anxious person, and I had major panic attacks. Yeah, yeah uh, and stuff. So I did write about that. I would write about having anxiety. Well, and I and- think that's
0: the fundamental of any artist is write what you know and write what you're going through and write from personal experience. Cause that's what keeps it authentic, right?
1: Yeah. And like anyone else, uh, I didn't have a perfect family life or perfect friendships or perfect relationships, just like anyone. So- I was going to
0: say, do you exactly. know anybody? who? No. <laughs> I, haven't,
1: I haven't met that per. I haven't met that person yet. <laughs> Right. So as a kid, that's what you write about. And we didn't, you know, it wasn't as crazy. I'm gonna make myself sound old or something, but it's just like social media wasn't as popping off. Like like we had it, like we were on it, but it wasn't as crazy as it is now Totally, where you could like get all your stuff like out there, any thought you have now, you could just put anywhere. Like before you were just kind of writing it, you're putting it in songs. It wasn't 140 character status or whatever. it was.
0: <laughs> Do you think, do you think that is an advantage or a disadvantage? Or do you think it is just an evolution? Because like, for me, I love to this day, I still love writing lyrics in a notebook. You know, I prefer handwritten stuff. Like I take my energy and channel it that way better than I do, let's say, typing on my computer, which I also do that too. Right. Or, or putting ideas down just in – I put lots of ideas down in voice notes, but like I'm not writing lyrics on my phone as prevalently you know, um, yeah. do you have a preference? I take a lot of voice your-
1: notes, but I never revisit them. Like I got to remember <laughs> to revisit them because then I'll go back. And I'm like, what the heck was this from? Like, yeah. I don't even know what I'm like, hopefully never, like no one ever gets a hold of my phone and just like going through, like, what is she talking about? Uh, I type on my computer, my lyrics, I would say in the notepad, just because especially with rap when things are quick syllables and everything, it is just so much easier to type fast and write. If I'm like, if it's coming to me quickly yeah. and also I will go back and change a bunch of things. Cause you have to make sure your syllables are flowing. Like that's something I didn't do when I first started and I wasn't as uh, strong of a songwriter. I would put like consonants next to each other that are not easy to say. Like, right. you really <laughs> have to do things in a way It's not just about what you say, it's how you say it. So I wasn't caring about my delivery as much. And uh, you could tell it just didn't flow as well. And now I'm like pretty careful as to what sounds I sonically put next to each other because it's just not going to, it's going to sound like you're falling downstairs. It's just like, like, so where did some of that,
0: where did some of that evolution come from? If you're starting to write your songs around like 15, 16, which is incredible. I love that. Where did you start to find your wings a little bit? And also I want to couple that question with junior, senior year. How did that evolve into that part of your life? And how did that transition into the concept of, with your parents, do I go to college? Do I not go to college? How, where, talk, walk me through the transition of, Um, you know, being like a young teenager into adulthood.
1: Yeah. I mean, I guess it evolved because at first when I was writing, I was writing for people to read it, not for them to hear it. So I became more aware of the fact, the way I'm saying things, it like, in my rhymes, it's got a flow in a way that is pleasing to the ear rather than like, whoa, that was, that was a lot at once. And it didn't sound like it kind of flowed off the tongue kind of thing. So I I had to to rework the way I was rapping and find my flow and confidence. And it came more with confidence because when you have the confidence and you're putting different inflections on certain words, I mean, someone like Nicki Minaj is a prime example of, throwing her voice. Uh, She's almost like a voiceover character. And I think of that as a rapper because it's not the same as singing. I mean, singing, you really show your skill melodically you're able to hit all these different notes impressive like it's the same idea but the delivery that's impressive from rap is if it sonically sounds like it flows even could not not agree with you more. of
0: course yes
1: was that something
0: was that something you figured out listening to yourself back or was that because and the reason i'm asking that is because we're gonna have lots of young people that listen to this that are you know have big dreams have aspirations much like yourself much like myself much like every artist we interview and they're they're working through these processes, right? Would you do, like yeah. cut a demo and hear yourself back and go, oh God, that's awful. Or did you start working with producers and have them give you guidance? Were you looking to other mentors? How were you gaining this knowledge of how to cultivate not only your sound, but cultivate this way of performing and structuring your rhymes so that it could be lyrical to the ear, so that it could have rhythm, it could have inflection, it could be embraced from an artistic standpoint opposed to just these are my words in syncopated blah 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 but I don't like the way that sounds you know what I mean yeah
1: yeah, I think it's a mixture of hearing it back and being like okay uh, how can I deliver this where it's easier easier on the ear it's like a song that I would listen to not just a song I made that I would listen to you know I mean I think Uh, that's
0: so important you're like I have to love it you know as if someone else put it out I have to be like that jam
1: is sick you know right exactly so you have to like it um and it comes to with finding yourself and your personality it really does so you you hear it back you have to be your own worst critic sometimes and figure it out and then also when you're figuring yourself out and your personality and what you represent your message it becomes way easier because you get to put your personality into the songs and you're like oh this is who I am I mean at first I it's kind of like I think I heard a saying, I forget what painter, but they took their first like thousand paintings and threw them away. Cause it took that many to figure out what their style was, you know what I mean? So, and that's okay. I mean, but that's yeah. okay.
0: It's the, that is the process, yeah. you know? I mean, I don't it think, is. I think very, there with a handful of very few exceptions, maybe Michael Jackson. I think most people don't come out of the womb starting out at 10, right. like, fully shaped and then getting to 15 and then also being fully shaped as an artist and then getting to their twenties and being fully shaped. I mean, most people right. and have he a wasn't curve. I
1: mean, and even Michael Jackson, didn't. he didn't come out no. like that. He <laughs> t- put a lot of work in there, you know, he put a lot of work. So he, so don't, you know, if you are young and whatever listening, don't think that, he came out doing the moonwalk. You know what I'm saying? Like he, <laughs> he, he worked up so to true. it. So Michael Jackson
0: did not come out doing the moonwalk. So we're all clear. <laughs> he had to learn that shit and figure out. To, yeah, he had to figure it out.
1: So. That's, uh, that's so my advice. Me, so
0: let me take you back because I totally derailed us. I'm sorry. I do that. It's um, fine. Take me back to the end of high school toward approaching adulthood, as it were, and, and family and dreams and where you're going with your life versus what other people think maybe you should or shouldn't be doing. Well,
1: first of all, I think when you're in high school, I think everyone is very confused about their life <laughs> or what they should be doing. And, you know. Thank you for saying uh,
0: that out loud. That's 100 percent true.
1: Yeah. You don't know. You don't think that, oh, like, oh, you knew exactly that you wanted to be a musician or whatever. Don't think that you have to know exactly what's going on. So, I mean, in my senior year, I lost it. I dropped out of school. Like I had six months left of school and I left. Wow.
0: Uh, Tell me about that.
1: If you don't, uh, if you don't mind. Yeah. I mean, I just had a series of different things happen. I was starting to pursue music. I, was like quitting all the sports I was doing. Um, I was getting made fun of a lot because I was pursuing a rap career and this was not something that was done a lot by a lot of white girls in the suburbs. Like yeah. especially, How did you handle that?
0: How did you handle that on your own level of perseverance? Like, how did you keep your eye on the prize in a sense?
1: I mean, I wish I had handled it better because I probably should have finished school. I only had a couple months left and I was just got to the point where I was like, I cannot go one more day in here. I don't care. I don't want to go to college. Like I was just, you know, throwing a fit, doing my teen angst thing, uh, super emo, yeah. I guess. But, but no, I mean, yeah,
0: I, I think th- that's very justified. It's one, and forgive me for making you expand on this, but it's just, it's like, I think that's such a relatable Truth, yeah. you know, I think that's I think that's more likely than unlikely. I think every teenage emerging adult person hits this stride where you're like, why am I doing that? I don't. I'm unhappy, or kids are mean, or no, I don't have it all figured out yet, but I'm at least trying, and I'm being made fun of. You know, like I found something I love, and instead yeah. of being supported, I'm in whatever way picked on or ridiculed. How did you? Did your family support you through that time when you said I'm dropping out? Like what?
1: I mean it was yeah, that's gonna
0: be tough conversations, <laughs> I would imagine
1: it definitely was. I mean, everything was pretty rocky i they were not on board with it, but it was almost <laughs> Your parents like, were like, oh good, okay. <laughs> yeah perfect. Uh, I mean, they knew that I was really hardworking, so even if I dropped out, I don't think they were worried that I would be able to fend for myself. I was always someone who had multiple jobs, you know as a teenager. I was always Uh, hardworking. I would pursue things that I wanted. So I think they trusted that, but they were not, of course, stoked on me dropping out. They didn't think it was a good plan. Like they, uh, but they didn't have a choice because it's weird. The way the system is these days, it's kind of like your parents will really get penalized for things you do before you're 18, you know? So like I was going to drop out. No matter what, like I wasn't gonna go. So if I wasn't gonna go and my parents weren't gonna sign off that it's okay that I drop out, they were gonna have to pay all types of fines and like probably go to court. I don't know the the whole process. I know there's truancy, like there's yeah, there's a lot of things involved that they get penalized for, and I think not that I would want that to happen and them to right. pay all that, but it was kind of like, guys, like this is where <laughs> to sign off with of this or I'm not going, you know, I'm really facing a lot of ridicule for everything i'm doing i had just had a friend who had passed away that was my age in school and i was like at my breaking point of like i just gotta go pursue music stuff i just want to work like i wanted to go to like i would go to skip school and go to work yeah, so i could make tips for like studio time and stuff um which you know it's always weird talking about it in an interview because I don't want to send this message out to kids
0: no, like I, yo, and I, Well, and to that point boom. and I love I love you for saying that because I mean I there's such a valid point in saying like I'm not promoting that everybody just goes I have a dream and I think I have work ethic and go drop out of school. I appreciate that. But I also appreciate that you had a very clear confident stand on your own life path. Like you were like listen Did you take your GED then? Is that how you? No, I I didn't take
1: a GED. I haven't um, gone to college or anything. So I I just, yeah, gave up. I was in like AP English classes. I just like released all my credits based essentially. I mean, it was uh, was weird, but I think talking about this more so promotes mental health and how they have to have better counseling in schools. Uh, When I went to the guidance counselor and talked about dropping out, the first reaction wasn't, hey, like, you know, what's wrong? What can we do? Like, how do can we get to, you like, through this? Yeah, the first reaction was, our stats for dropouts are very low. You're going to make us look bad. We're a prestigious high school. Like, I wasn't in a private school. I wasn't that's was not like an good. answer.
0: That's not the right answer. The yeah, answer is, so how like, can we support you to finish and how can we make the experience better?
1: Yeah, I kind of always would be like, fuck you to any authority that was like you're making us look bad so that made me want to do it even more almost because it was like oh well you're this is not going to look good for us and it's like well fuck me right I guess like you guys don't give a shit as to right they knew they knew my friend had died or whatever because they were the ones who brought me to the office to tell me um so like they they knew all these different things and uh yeah they were just still weird about it saying like I was going to make their stats look bad because they were a good school and I just did not care about that. It just kind of cemented. Yeah, you're like the my own that...
0: life plan is more important to me than your stats. <laughs>
1: yeah. Right? Yeah, it was more my mental health because I was just felt like I was going to have a panic attack every time I came to school. Every time someone was like yell something to me in the hall about that was the. Do you remember when the word wigger was still a cool thing to say or a trendy thing to say? I missed that one. Not, <laughs> not that. I had a... Just a, a white person, you know, who yeah. thinks you black because I'm rapping, and I, yeah, I don't. <laughs> I use the term as to what I was called. I know it's not, yeah, you know, when you say "wigger," whatever yeah, it's yeah. not. No, but I, I, that's it's. I don't. I don't like that. The, the phrase. I think none of it's cool just to, to say, but that is definitely something
0: you were dealing with. Called, yeah, yeah,
1: and that's so weird. I mean, that's that's.
0: Well, you know, I always say, say, and I hope people take this, is that living well is the best revenge. So when you meet these moments in your life where people are doubting you, questioning you, bullying you, putting you in a corner, and you get that. In the one hand, it depends on who you are, but I think it, it definitely inspires the fire, right? When you're getting pushed around that way on an emotional level and you're like, I am not coming back to this place. And not only that, let me show you what I'm capable of. It lights that fire of, like, I'm going to go show you I can do this, right? I mean, sometimes. I For me, I'm that way. I'm yeah. reactive that way. Um, but I do think, in, in turn, when you're in those corners, living well is the best revenge. If you turn around and go kick some serious ass and make a career for yourself, which you have, you know, I'd love to see where those kids are now and how they feel about you now. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, I overcame you. So you can go suck it. Um, so, yeah. So what— so you decide to drop out of school. Your parents reluctantly are like, fine, I'll sign the documents. You leave school. What did you do then? What was the—did you immediately go into this like, well, now, shit, I got to go. I need to go hustle. Or were you just like, <laughs> I need to I need to work for a while and just get my head clear. I need to mourn my friend. Like, where was your mental state at once you got the, like, this is the direction we're going. This is what we're doing now.
1: I mean, I— I kicked into gear right away. I definitely, that's about the time that I was calling all the different studios. I was like, oh, okay. I need to go into a real studio. You know, I've, I've been writing, I have all these rhymes, I have all these things I've done, but I need to actually record something. And that's probably like the several months of me trying to, to book studio time, not really getting any calls back, yeah. <laughs> uh, just trying to pursue it. So, You know, it was extremely disheartening to go through that time of uh, dropping out, feeling like, you know, everyone at school was against me, you know, and now it's like, now the studios won't let me in. Okay, I'm, like, forcing my way in here. Like, this is not...
0: This Good is not for you. Awesome, You're no. like, this is not going to define me right now. I And, and that yeah. speaks a lot to your, again, your work ethic and your confidence and your belief in yourself, whether you realized it at the time or not. I don't know if it was just sheer survival for you, but you were like, I will bang down the doors if I have to.
1: Yeah. I mean, I didn't know for sure that I was going to release everything on the internet that I did. I just wanted to try it because I was really interested in recording music. I didn't, like think right off the bat i'm gonna be like as big as rihanna or something like that (laughs) i was just like okay i just want to see how it goes i want to try it um i gotta pursue things and it just it's it's one of those times too where when you have a friend die and you're a teenager and that person is a teenager it just makes you realize how mortal you are because you think as a teenager sometimes i think you don't realize that you could die at any time. I right. think a lot of times you think you're invincible and you're just having yeah. a long life to live. And it just makes you realize, okay, anything I want to do, I better try it because you don't know whatever's going to happen. So you want to make sure you just pursue it now.
0: Totally. You
1: know? When you started
0: getting in, so at what point, what was the first big like okay, you can come in and cut your demos or you can cut your rhymes here. Or you, how'd you get into, you were met with all this like resistance. How did you get in? Who or where did you get in first? How did you break the wall to get recorded?
1: Oh, wow. Um, let's see. I'm trying to think the first guy to record me was in like downtown Philadelphia. He was like in the heart of it. Um, and it, it was cool because I thought being from the burbs, like a lot of the people really in the inner city were going to be the ones that didn't want me, but it was the ones that I was calling that were all from the suburbs that were like, no, you shouldn't be rapping or whatever. It was the people that were right in the heart of it that were like, yeah, do whatever you want. As long as you're uh, writing about what you know, no one's going to care. So it was all the actual like rappers and the actual gangsters and the actual people like that that were
0: like yeah do it that was the opposite yeah that was my uh, fo- natural follow up was okay so you you survived all this like naysaying from your peers and then you go out into this world I, how were you met with that that was my like did and you're telling me that the environment of the rap community was like fuck go for it yeah i mean have you experienced much- any have you had any pushback on you're a white girl from the suburbs rapping really like, have you had to go through that?
1: I mean, aside from uh, all the people in my school saying that offensive word I said earlier, and now probably regret, I'm sorry for saying no, no, no. <laughs> that on the I, show. I'm all for bringing but, to
0: light the truths that people go through. I mean, that's yeah. a hideous word, and, and you had to quote, listen to it. i quoting
1: it. i yeah. was just quoting it, so probably triggering uh, to many people. But, uh, yeah, I mean, aside from uh, people... Uh, I want to say other white people that are mad about it, but not as much anymore because we're so diverse now. Like, I think that music has really evolved to the point where we've not, we've fused like what people think people should be doing. Like if there's like a black cowboy doing country, who cares? I love it. Yes. Yeah. Like I just think anyone can do any genre, any, uh, so many genres are fusing together now. I think it's almost way more accepted, like, to be like, oh, I'm a white girl. That's so, (laughs) it almost feels like playing a gimmick now because it's not um, something that's, like, someone's gatekeeping really anymore. Right. Um, I still, of course, get pushback for a number of other reasons just because I think anytime you're an entertainer and you make any kind of name for yourself, there's of course going to be people that just don't like you <laughs> for whatever Yes. Reason.
0: Nobody, no artist, so. no person makes a hundred percent of the people happy. I mean, that just doesn't happen.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I definitely get the really stereotypical, like women in music kind of disses, I guess, as yeah. far as uh, make me a sandwich or go back to the kitchen kind of thing. Like it's the 1920s. I don't know. Let it
0: go. Let it go. Anybody who thinks women belong in the kitchen, just let it go.
1: Yeah. I get, I mean, I definitely get those stereotypical comments or people thinking that if you do anything, achieve anything that you must have slept with someone to do it. You know, that's right. A
0: thing. That's another pull it out of the back pocket. Wham, bam. Thank you, ma'am. Kind of comment.
1: Yeah, that's kind of a very obvious expected comment that they know is going to hurt Isn't you. Isn't that sad not.
0: that we're at a point where it's like things like that are just expected?
1: Let's do better, people. Let's all do better. Yeah, it's the go-to diss. Like, or be more creative with your disses, you know what I mean? Like, if you're going to diss me... <laughs> you heard it here fine.
0: first from Whitney Payton. If you're going to diss me, just be more creative about it. That's all I ask. Yeah, just <laughs> Give like, me something some I haven't heard.
1: <laughs> right, exactly. Because it's just like, it feels so generic. It feels like every time someone says something like that, that they just pulled it out of the hat of go-to generic... Totally. Uh, ...jokes. <laughs>
0: This episode is brought to you by Guitar Lessons with Drew Hall. If you've ever wanted to start to learn guitar or if you've been playing for years and want to raise your playing to the next level, contact Drew Hall for private lessons. Lessons are specially designed for each individual student that focus on your musical interests, goals, and even how you learn. All styles and skill levels are welcome. Lessons are also available over Skype. To book, please call 928-848-6784 or by email at Hall. Guitar player at gmail.com. Let's keep going on this journey because I'm loving this. Um, so you you get into the inner city, you get to do some recording. How was that initial process? Was that a huge learning curve for you? Did you feel like, oh, I got it, like I'm hitting my stride? Did you work with people that you felt like you were gaining knowledge from?
1: Yeah. And you definitely gain a lot of knowledge the more you go out and you do shows. I think I really learned how to be a performer from watching a lot of other artists um, perform and interact with the crowd. So that became my thing that I think I was best at was being the live entertainer. I'm way better in front of a crowd than I would say in a studio because it's just not the same energy. Right. You know what I mean?
0: Right. Walk me through recording your first your first song.
1: Uh, it was definitely uncomfortable. Like I said, I think I'm just, I'm, I have high anxiety. So I overthink everything as an artist. It's like, okay, is it good enough? Is it like, are people going to like it? All this stuff. So I think the first time recording definitely opened my eyes to like, okay, this is harder than it looks like everyone makes it look easy. All these artists make it look like, It's a breeze and it becomes more so like that, but you feel very put on the spot and you feel very, um, like it's almost like you're entertaining the engineers and producers or anyone there, even though you're not obligated to do that. You have to repeat it a million times. It's like, yeah, it's it's weird. It's an awkward feeling. I, as of recently, I've started engineering and producing myself which definitely feels better because whenever you're in the vibe, you're able to just capture it rather than in the studio, you're scheduling time. And if you wrote something to record, you have to hope that you're in that same mindset when you get there. You know what I mean? So totally. You could write something and be in a certain mindset and then you're like, okay, I want to record this. Your studio time isn't until next month. Hopefully next month when you go to record that really sad song, you can get yourself <laughs> back in that.
0: That place, you right. You
1: know what I mean? That place. And uh, have it come off the way you're intending it. Um, there's so many times that I think listening back to my old stuff, I'm like, man, I don't think I was in the same mindset as when I wrote it, as when I recorded it. And it sounded almost not confident, not uh, none of that personality in there that I was telling you about.
0: Right. How did you then transition to stage performances? So you now have a recording. What I, Did you first record a full-length record, an EP, a single? How did you go from there to like, I need to get on the road. What were the steps through that?
1: You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, it was a long time before I was really on the road. I would say, I I did record albums. I've always kind of been that person that's recorded full albums. And I would put those out and I would do like spot dates. So I would just set up shows for myself. Doing like a show here or a show there. Like, I, I remember the first time I had two shows in one weekend and I thought I was like crushing it. I was like, <laughs> oh my God. You're like, I and am living this life. <laughs> yeah, I two shows in one weekend. This is baller. Yeah, I thought I was killing it. And then I became an artist that would have like a show every day for a month, you know, right. <laughs> or two months or three months. So, um, yeah, I started doing that. And then I think at first, the first several albums I put out, I put up for free download. So, I didn't even put anything on iTunes or whatever until like my fourth or fifth, which I consider my first album. Right. You know, like, even the big I debu- like but the big
0: debut album, right?
1: Yeah. The like, kind of like Hello World. Myself.
0: Yeah. Take it on. Everybody take it in now.
1: Cause even though I was, you know, putting a good amount of money that I would make into recording and paying for studio time. I just knew I wasn't really there yet. So I didn't want to make people pay for my music yet because this was still like a time where people were buying music. And I knew that I didn't have a name yet or anything. So it's like, how can I get people to buy my album? I'm just going to give it to them. So I, there were like popular rap sites like Dat Piff or like a couple other ones where you could put up albums for free download and I would put it up there. And then I'd see that I'm getting like a hundred thousand downloads and I'm getting 200,000 downloads. And I'm like, man, okay. I'm starting to like get people into you're like, People me. are paying crazy.
0: attention. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. This is crazy. Who are you
0: this- being inspired by at this time? Like when you're writing your three or four albums pre, let's say your official, like I'm an artist now, who was inspiring you or who were you being motivated by in your own ears? As you were giving people music for their ears?
1: Yeah, so it was a mixture of, okay, so there were like old school artists that I was really into. So, like throwback artists like TLC, uh, even Destiny's Child, I would oh, yeah. go back to, listen to Eminem, uh, Will Smith. I really liked uh, Tech Nine, who was an indie artist and still is and just a powerhouse you know what i mean so yeah. like as i was starting to do music i started to be introduced to to more independent artists that weren't considered mainstream but still had huge crazy followers. fan bases yeah. yeah they had huge followings but i didn't know cuz i only knew what was on the radio like what was being shown to us and then i was like oh there's this whole other world of unsigned artists or artists that have their own labels that are as good <laughs> as mainstream artists easily completely. so completely yeah. So I started to discover, um, artists like that, like tech and just uh, Mouth Kings and just all these, uh, indie rappers. I was like, okay, they do things the way they want it. So that's really cool. Cause I was always like everyone else just showing stuff on the radio. It's like, oh, they, they are probably told what to do and told what to say and told what to wear. Um, I'm not saying they all are, but that's kind of what The idea you get is like, oh, my God, they have all these people around them pressuring them or doing whatever or shaping them
0: to what they want.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And you see all the scandals and things coming out about, (laughs) you know, uh, about like, oh, their manager was stealing all this money or the whatever. Um, It's just crazy. and You're like, whoa. And then you see the indie artists and you're like, they're doing it however they want to do it. Yeah, I like that. (laughs)
0: You're like, that's the road I like. So you're getting yeah. 100 and 200 thousand downloads, and you're starting to go, oh, okay, people are paying attention. So where yeah. did your mind go from there?
1: So I was like 16 or 17, you know, I probably like 16, and then I was like, okay, I gotta make a music video. Like, not everyone and their mom had a camera yet. Like now, now you can just like on your iPhone, right? <laughs> do it if you want. But um, I was like, I gotta make a music video, and I never did anything small, so I wanted to run out this penitentiary this like abandoned (laughs) penitentiary so there's this place called um freaking what is it called it's a penitentiary eastern state i don't know i couldn't think of it eastern state penitentiary in philadelphia that is abandoned and all like decrepit but they still Someone still owns it because it's like a historical monument, and they still use it for, like, around Halloween they'll set up like oh like things haunted, for people to haunted things, things and yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> right, right, but um. You can go through and take tours and all that, and I was like, I want to shoot a music video here, and a bunch of movies have been shot there, like Twelve Monkeys and different things. And I was like, okay, this is not going to be cheap. They were like, yeah, it's going to be several grand for you to do this. And being like sixteen, having to pay several grand for for the location and also the videographer, I was like, yeah, I, I was like, that no- doesn't even
0: include your videographer, your crew, any of yeah. that.
1: Exactly. And I bought, it was for a song called Crazy. It's like my first song. And I bought online, I bought this straight jacket, this super legit straight jacket that you couldn't even get in America because I don't think it's legal. (laughs) So like like Germany or something, I bought this straight jacket and I just went around. Do you know how people like soccer teams and stuff go around to different businesses and they're like, Hey, will you sponsor our soccer team? <laughs> okay. So like I did that, but for a music video. So I would print out now. I don't know if I'd have the balls to do that. Cause that's just so ballsy. But like, I print out, like we, sp- we proudly sponsor and like have some promo picture on it of me and like my like how Whitney industrious
0: Payton. though. I love this.
1: I mean, you're Dude, really such looks- an
0: entrepreneur, like so young. You're just like, Screw it! I'm just gonna go out and find money, and I'm gonna tell people they're sponsoring me. If sports teams can do it, why can't I?
1: Yeah, sports teams can go around get ten dollars here, twenty dollars here, thirty dollars here from different businesses. I literally printed out like we sponsor local artists, Whitney Payton, blah blah blah, and I would go into different like restaurants and businesses and like this is GoFundMe in real life, you know? So I think it's incredible. Yeah, I was like, hey, I'm trying to make a music video and I didn't have any money. So like I worked a bunch of jobs, so I was trying to do what I can. But we're talking, this video ended up costing me like 10 grand, you know? So, and that's like, now I can make probably like three videos with 10 grand. But um, I was thinking this is how much, this costs, you know. So, I yeah, I raised it. I raised it. I raised like ten thousand dollars, and I used it all for the music video. I could have been just sixteen with ten grand in my bank account, but I <laughs> was like, "Yo, I'm I'm making this music video. These people are hanging these signs of me, <laughs> like in their restaurants. That's incredible. So I better like come through. So yeah, my first music video was crowdfunded before GoFundMe, before Kickstarter. I, I love that. It. And I
0: love your community for backing you on that. I love that people were like, yeah, all right. Yeah. We gave 10 bucks to football. We'll give 10 bucks to you to make a music video. Let's do it.
1: I, yeah, I definitely got some weird looks, but I think people were like, okay. They liked like, your moxie. Sure.
0: They're like, this kid knows what she was. She's going for it. I love it. I
1: mean, it's, I guess it's better. If I was a business owner and I saw that, I would I would do it because it's better than kids going around selling drugs and stuff. It's like, you're trying to make a music video. Okay. like. Let's, I, we'll
0: I could not it. agree more. I think that's incredible. So what would you say was your first quote unquote big break?
1: Man, I think that's funny because I really don't think there's such thing as a big break. I think it's a series of things. Totally. You know what I mean? Well, and that's Uh,
0: why I ask, honestly, because I, you know, so much of, we talk about the journey, which is why I literally start from tell me zero to five, because everything shapes up to where you are now. It's not one specific thing, but if you work to kind of whittle it down to one or two or three pivotal moments, In your young adulthood where—I mean, I would obviously say, like, from an outside perspective, choosing to leave school and be like, I'm doing this. Like, I'm just—this is where I'm at. This is, I mean, that's a huge, pivotal moment in a decision. Whether it had succeeded or not, it was a pivotal shift in your life on your direction. And then turning around and going out and being like, I'll fund all my shit. I'm just going to go ask people to help me make a music video. That's huge and pivotal because— it all sets the tone for everything to come. You know, like you said, you could have been yeah. 16 with 10 grand in your bank account. Or you can say, I'm going to go create a product and develop uh-huh. myself and do the work to evolve. You know, I mean, I think that's such mm-hmm. a huge thing to be said. That being the case, moving on beyond there, do you have an, a moment where you were like, you know what, when this happened, I went, oh, okay. I'm like I'm doing this. Like we're we're doing this now.
1: Yeah, I th- I mean I think there's several d- different moments that I was like, okay, this is really going in the right direction, and they added up to equal being successful. Now I wouldn't say you know if I had some hit song that just like took off, that would have been that's the moment. But I don't have that yet. I just am able to live off of my music and a lot of things have kind of led up to it. And So what were some um, of those
0: things? Because honestly, Whitney, that's huge. There are so many people I've spoken to that, you know, have had the same interests or ideas as you, maybe in a different genre or what have you. And they're, you know, a handful of years later, five years later, 10 years later, and they're just like, yeah, it was really fun. I love it. I have no regrets, but now I do, you know, I'm an accountant. You know what I mean? Like, so what were some of the things that shaped this journey for you from that point.
1: All right. So there's a couple different times. I mean, one of the times is being like, if people flake on you, so if you're supposed to do a shoot or something, the videographer doesn't show up, you're supposed to get this graphic, the graphic designer doesn't come through. I think one of the things that really helped me break was learning how to do things other than music. Like I know how to make my own graphics. I design my website. I do a number of other things so that if, I'm working with someone else and something happens, I could still do it. You really want to be a person who knows how to do multiple things within your career so that the less people who touch your music, the more you it is. So if you can engineer yourself, if you can make your graphics, whatever, because every time it touches someone else, it becomes a little bit of them and it might represent you less. So I think you need to be able to do a lot of that stuff. I think um, one of the Big times was I. I worked for Marriott hotels for like five years. So like after I left school, and I was I was like a night audit for Marriott, and I was working there at the same time as doing my music. That was like my I was gonna say day job, but it was a night job. Yeah. I was an overnight person. So I would be there like on my computer trying to do things while at the same time like watching the hotel, doing things at the hotel. But there came a point where I did get opportunities to go on tour. I was friends with Boo from 3-6 Mafia, and they happened to do a tour in 2014 that I got put on, and it was one of those points where I was like, I'm making money from music, but not enough to cover my bills, and it's safer to stay here, but... I'm going, I just got to go. Yeah. So because like, I
0: get to go on tour with three, six mafia. Yeah. So it was
1: yeah. like, you're going to go on tour. You're going to lose your job, you know, because I was going to be gone for like months. It was like a 60 date tour. It was not a short, like my first tour, you know what I mean? So yeah. I I didn't do any like short tours. So I was, it was like, okay, I'm going to do this and come back to no job. I got to make it work. Like it's, it's play it safe or not because that's the thing. You're never really, everyone's always like, Oh, when I'm making as much on music as I am my day job, then I'll quit my day job. You, that is like the absolute wrong way of thinking because your money's always going to come from where you're putting your time. And if you're putting eight hours a day or whatever into your day job, but then you're only putting two into music when you get home and then you're tired. It's like, how is it ever going to make more money? Oh, if you're putting I love that you just said so, that because like, it's so true. So you gotta. I mean, I'm not trying to make you make any bad life decisions, but I'm just saying you have to jump. You have to make it work. So, like, once if you decide you're gonna quit your uh, your job, you have to figure out how music is gonna make you money and like get it to the point your day job was. Or you you might be overspending in your day job, and you better figure out how to live less lavish so that you can do music. Amen to that
0: too. By the way, everybody, listen up because uh, psa so, psa sometimes there are sacrifices that have to be made to make the greater dream come to fruition and if that means you're not getting your nails done every week and you're going you know what i'll paint them my damn self or if it means you know what i will uh rewear an outfit on stage a couple times instead of having a different outfit every single time i go out there that's mm-hmm. part of this you know you have to pick and choose oh yeah how you're going and, and to make you it, gotta work.
1: Think of it like this to be more motivating, because I know when you hear that, when you're like, oh, I don't want to sacrifice getting my Jordans or getting my blah, blah, blah. The thing is, just think of it this way. You can buy, do something so that you can buy way more Jordans in the future. Right. Do your nails more in the future. Put the you time know in I'm now saying? and buy
0: 10 pairs of Jordans later.
1: That's what I'm saying. Like forfeit the hamburger so you can have the filet mignon. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so just,
0: How was it when you got a, when you went out on tour, how was that experience for you? Were you like, oh man, I never want to go back to regular (laughs) civilian life. Or were you like, wow, this is way different than I thought.
1: Um, every tour has been different depending on who I'm on tour with, because the people who you're surrounded with, are everything cause you're with them 24 seven literally. So, um, it was definitely a learning experience going right out on tour for that long is like being thrown into the fire. So I did love it. I like, I was in love with it at the same time. There's like a lot of hardships that come with it that humble you and can put you on your ass because you go out there and you're like, oh, I thought I was this big shot online. Not everyone knows me in every city. Like, hello. (laughs) Like you think, oh, I'm so famous or something. You go out and then you're like, this crowd doesn't know me yet. They know Three Six Mafia. You know what I mean? So you're opening for a band that they're waiting for. So you got to bring it like every single night you got to bring it. And I definitely um, think the opener has the hardest
0: job on that stage because everybody's there to see the main act. And the main act has approved you as their opener. So, you know, they're hoping they like you, but you got to prove it to them. You have to make them decide to like you.
1: And I think also being the opener on the tour package is harder than being the local sometimes because only for this reason, like when people come to the show, they then are sitting through the local acts and watching them. And then you're after that. So it's kind of like, man, we already saw like, four people play, like when's three six mafia coming out? You know, so you're like not only are you one of the openers, but you're one of the openers at the point where people are like just ready for like like, Yeah, just give me the band
0: I pay to see. Yeah. Or the (laughs)
1: Especially on hip hop shows, I don't know what it's like on other shows, but on hip hop shows, sometimes they'd be putting like 10 acts on that shit. Like, I am
0: always blown away by the number of openers on hip hop shows. I got to be honest, because in all other genres you have one, maybe two. In hip hop, you could have like five. They, they make it a festival. They do. It. It's they like make a full... it a festival every
1: time. So which is cool, but yeah, you're like you're like I'm not dogging it. I'm just saying. <laughs> it's just Um, funny because it's never on time. Hip hop time is not on time.
0: I'm just telling you. That's also true. I've experienced that as a, as a observer and a fan and a audience member. I'm like, they said the show was a seven. Why is it 1030?
1: Right. Yeah. Every time. Every
0: time. Um, So what would you say to this point? And then I want to get into a handful of questions. I ask all my guests, I hope you don't mind, but um, before we get into those questions, what would you say has been a favorite tour? at this point and why?
1: Ooh, okay. So I definitely, I mean, 3-6 Mafia is up there just because of how iconic that group is. And the fact that that was like my training of tours, because that's like so insane to think. Um, like there were there were fights at certain clubs, there were shows <laughs> shut down, there was mushing people hitting each other. It was crazy. So that... I mean, we'll always go down in the books. I also have toured with Ritz, Little Debbie. I've toured with like Attila, like Franz from Attila. Um, I've done like metal shows and hip hop shows and it is so wild, the difference in it. I'm trying to think of like the highlight shows though. I <laughs> I, I would say, I mean, 3-6 when I got tear gassed in Denver, that's definitely a story. Oh my <laughs> God. Go ahead. Tell me about that. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, but it's funny because I'm telling you like it's bad, but it's like these are memories that are amazing because it's so funny to talk about. But I mean, Denver is always a good place to do shows. People show up. People go hard. Uh, It was just that there was some sort of fight in the mosh pit right in the middle of the venue. And we're talking, there's like a thousand people in this venue. So security And whoever couldn't get to the center to the pit, so I don't know what happened, but all these cops ended up coming in. There's like the gas, like tear gas. You see it like being thrown into the the center, center. like the actual canisters of it. And we're on stage. I was on stage with Three Six because we had a song that we would come up. (laughs) Yeah, I'm breathing in the smoke, so show was over immediately. (laughs) But it luckily it was like pretty much the last song, but it just cleared everyone out because I don't know if you've ever breathed in that stuff, but it is gnarly. You will be coughing for hours. I have not
0: had that experience yet in my life, but it does not sound like what I want not. to have. So that's okay. No. <laughs>
1: no, So that was crazy. So that just to be like, Oh yeah, the show got tear gas last night. Welcome to tour. Yeah. <laughs> You're all, you are
0: now officially in the entertainment industry. <laughs> yeah. Um, induction success. Um, so what would you say uh, and I, I can't wait to ask you these questions because of the journey you've shared thus far and, and your childhood and some of the experiences through high school as you were setting your eyes on your dream and, and pursuing it and diving deeper into your interest. What would, Knowing everything you know now, coming yeah. as far as you have come, building an audience, building a following taking all the bullying and being like no I'm going to go I'm going to fucking do it and 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 then having the follow through to go do it and do it well yeah. and um getting to the point where you are today knowing everything you know now with all the experiences what would you tell your younger self let's say 12 13 14 in those years what would you tell that that little girl that was just on the brink of probably experiencing all the tough
1: stuff honestly i would tell myself and tell others just own it like anything you think is weird about yourself instead of trying to hide it to be cool just own all those quirks because that ends up being what people are drawn to you for like I think I went so long with trying to be like the cool kid like okay people will think I'm cool if I wear this or do this or make this song um and you're kind of ashamed of other Things maybe about you that make you different or make you interesting, and you don't want to own those things about your personality. Like, I didn't want to show people that I had severe anxiety or I, I had panic attacks. I thought it made me really uncool. Like, if I was having a panic attack, I would try to get away from people so they can't see that I'm like hyperventilating or anything like that. But now, just being older, I just think those things are what people relate to you for because they see, they see it. And some people will be like, I do, I have that too. Or I, I was going to say, way too. everybody's
0: flawed. It's kind of nice to be relieved that you're not the only one, you know, and not that that yeah. is a flaw, but when you internalize it and you worry about it, you think it's a flaw. So it's, it's comforting right. to see from others. I like that idea. So you, you would just or, say, or own it
1: or like all your relationships are perfect or that whole thing about like, we're just cool. Everything I do like works out everything I try to do. I win at every highlight, you know what I mean? And that's kind of what we show even now on like Instagram and stuff, you're seeing highlight reels of everyone. Cause no one wants to post about when they're told no, or when they're told they're not good enough or when they're rejected from, uh, you know, getting on a show or something like that. So I would just say embrace those flaws because it is what, ends up uh, being your success. I would say when I started coming into myself a little bit more and being more open about everything is when people started to embrace me more because they felt like they knew me rather than, okay, we can see this is the image you put out. Is this like how you are day to day? And that's boring to be honest, to watch someone always be like perfect or win or whatever that is so boring and unrelatable like I and also
0: unrealistic I mean it's just not and
1: unrealistic
0: yeah yes. and it's, it's
1: just like yeah it's unattainable it's and I and I just say boring because it's not like you know that it's not real so it doesn't feel genuine I agree it just doesn't feel genuine
0: I agree so what do you tell yourself now
1: the same thing because <laughs> you have to tell yourself all, listen girl this advice goes to everybody <laughs> it applies to no matter what age i think as as you start maturing you start giving less fucks. i don't know if i'm allowed to cruise <laughs> of on course here. You are. Yeah. But, okay uh, yeah i think you start caring less about what people think as you start getting older but um yeah i still tell myself that every day like when i make mistakes i'm like okay just yeah own up to the fact that you messed up or yeah. whatever so that um, you can move on because I think we all, to some degree, like regret things in the past. I should have done this. I should have said this and just dwell on it and dwell on it. And I think artistic minds might tend to do that a lot more, especially the introverts where you're just like, 10 years ago, I said this <laughs> and you just like, you know, whatever. How is that? How is that helping? I think I tell myself now to live in the moment more because that's never something I do. I always, um, dwell on the past or I worry about the future and try to over plan or overthink. And it's just like, man, I just miss out on all these cool experiences of what's happening right now. Cause I'm always worried about the future. That's I can get off a of, valid
0: thing to, to bring to the yeah, table for sure.
1: I get off stage in front of like a sold out, Thing of people, and then it's like my manager or whoever will be like, yo, good job, you killed it and stuff. And I'm like, well, what's next? You know, yeah. I'm always like, what's next? What's next? Instead of taking uh, a minute and, and
0: listening to the applause and the right. and the fact that everybody appreciated the performance, you know.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Um,
0: what would you say has been your definition to this point of success and how or has that word changed for you at all over the course of your career so far?
1: I mean, it's definitely changed. I think when I first started, I saw myself like, oh, I'm going to be signed to a major label and this and that. And now the industry is totally different. Um, Signing to a major label does not mean... That (laughs) does not define
0: success at all anymore.
1: (laughs) Right. So I think it's... I mean, I have found success because I, I do live off of this. So I am able to pay my bills off of music, which is crazy. And sometimes it does people like, yeah. And it takes you saying that sometimes to even think about it and be like, yeah, I really appreciate that. Um, cause you know, you always want more, you're always like setting really high goals for yourself and you're like, it's not enough. I got to do this or I got to do that. Um, but success is happiness now. Like that's what you, you don't realize. You think it's all your achievements and, that's just not the case because if you're just not happy, what is, no one's going to probably remember, you know, aside from you, all your major That's and I was going to say that's a hundred percent
0: so true. I, we had a guest on with that, <clears throat> excuse me, not that long ago. He goes, you know, because I'm happy now, I can honestly tell you, I don't remember all the accolades I have. Like, he's like, I'm at a point in my life where I've actually forgotten things that I've won or achieved Yeah, because I'm happy. Yeah. I'm not focusing on, did I make that? like, did I win that thing? Like the, the effort is now being put into the happiness opposed to the accolade itself. And he's like, I'm I'm finally at a point where I feel good enough to say, I wake up every day and I like, my life is, I I like what I'm doing. That's more successful Mm -hmm. than going, oh, I won that Emmy nomination or whatever. Yeah.
1: And I don't go, I can't, I can't call my cell phone company or my car a company or whatever and be like, hey, yeah, guess what I have? I won this. And they're like, cool. It's still going to cost you this much for your <laughs> <laughs> so like, like, They don't give a shit if you want an award. They want you they to pay don't. your bills. <laughs> <laughs> you still got to, yeah, do your thing. But the people... It matters more when you get those messages of people like, hey, this song really helped me through my breakup or whatever. You start appreciating that way more than the awards because it means something. It it actually meant something to someone, you
0: oh, know. So true. So true. So beautifully said. What is your uh, current goal or dream from here? where what are you looking well, not so much about like what are you going to achieve in the future but where is your mind at on like what you'd like to do next or what you'd like to be putting your energy into musically
1: well i think i want to go back to my roots in a way like we just talked about where it's like hey yeah i had the ambition to go from place to place and be like hey will you sponsor my video or do this or that and it was such um a passionate thing to feel that way and for a while like i was signing to different labels and doing different things and leaving certain things in other people's hands, which is helpful when you have a team uh, and whatever, but like, I just think I want to take it back to just me direct to the fans in some type of way. So I think for my next album, I'm just going to self-release it. I think I'm going to do more of that back to basics thing where it's just me to the fans, because that's what was really working for me as far as you know, how big I was, first of all, but more importantly, how happy I was, because it is, uh, you feel like you achieve so much more when, um, well, it's you're direct to to connection, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah you're you're directly, directly connected. Connected.
0: Yeah. It's that's amazing. Fulfilling. I love that. Um, well, I know that we would love to have you come when the world opens up, we would love to have you come play Prescott. Um, mm-hmm. that's definitely Ooh. on our list. We'd love to have you come play a show here. Um, hopefully that's sooner than later. Do you have any sign-up advice yes. or things you'd like to tell our listeners that they should be thinking about, or where they should find you, or where they should download your music? Tell me all that stuff. Tell me the plug yourself, so right. we can tell everybody right. you just heard this beautiful interview with Whitney Payton. Um, now go buy her music.
1: My advice to people, first off, is don't wait to be discovered. Discover yourself. So I that's number one. Um, but yeah, where you can find my music, let's see. I'm on Spotify, iTunes, all those major digital outlets. If you look up Whitney Payton, and it's P E Y T O N, that's how you spell the last name. Uh, so look me up on there. I'm also on Instagram. I'm on, uh, you know, MySpace. You know, <laughs> I don't. <laughs> I'm just You're like, kidding. I'm on just all Google. the places. <laughs> I'm, It's my space of thing. Yeah, no, I'm on on all those places. So if you just look up Whitney Payton, you'll be able to find me. And yeah, get ready for my next. I love it. Well,
0: I hope you will consider after you drop your next record. I'd love to have you back and talk about that process and how that feels and getting directly out to your audience again. So thank you for being a guest, Whitney. So awesome to talk to you. I'm so happy I get to see you. I'm sorry for everybody at home. You don't get to see her, but she's lovely. And she has this gorgeous, infectious, genuine smile. And um, talking to Whitney is just easy and fun. So thank you for being a guest. I look forward to having you you. back. And we will put all your links in our liner notes and all that kind of stuff. So everybody can just go straight to the source. Cool. Thank you guys so much. I appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon, my lady. Until then, best to you.
1: Thank you. I'll see you guys. Take care.
0: Alright, everybody, today's episode is brought to you by The Raven Cafe, located at 142 North Cortez Street in historic downtown Prescott, Arizona. I love this place. I eat there all the time, and let me tell you why. The Raven Cafe features a full, all organic espresso bar and a wide variety of craft beers and wines. Their innovative menu is created with a focus on organic ingredients, many of which come from local sources. So head on over there. Enjoy a relaxing and comfortable environment, decorated with rotating art shows by local and regional visual artists. And on the weekends, a lineup of the best in up and coming local music. You don't wanna miss out on the Raven Cafe. It's absolutely one of my favorite spots in town. So head on over to ravencafe.com and order online or stop by to catch a happy hour on their beautiful rooftop patio. Thank you for listening to The Creative Convergence, coming to you from Raven Sound Studio in historic downtown Prescott, Arizona. Are you a professional in the arts and would like to share your story with us? Or a company that would like to advertise with us? Shoot us an email at contact at com. Help support the arts by becoming a Raven Productions member. Get your perk card and be the first to know about all of our upcoming promotions, events, and online programming. Your membership will directly support the arts programs in our schools. Sign up today at ravenproductionsmedia.com. Until next time, be safe and enjoy the journey.